Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, Rockstars? It's Matt Johnson. We are back again with another fantastic conversation on the UX Podcast. We are joined today by Dr. Laura Gallagher, and she has, uh, among other things, she's the founder of Gallagher Edge, which is an executive and entrepreneurial coaching firm, and uh, she is an organizational psychologist with a deep background uh, with major companies like NASA and Disney, and among many others. She's also a TEDx speaker. She is a podcast host. She runs a show called Expand Your Edge, which I was fortunate enough to be a guest on recently, so you can check out that episode, where I got a chance to talk to Dr. Laura for the first time. So when we brought her to, on to the UX podcast, I wanted to delve into the people part of UX because in order to really build a UX machine, part of the people who run the systems are a very vital element. Now the systems might come first in the sense that they are built first, but they're built to be operated by human beings and they're real people. And so what we talk about with Dr. Laura on this episode is why we as leaders need to be intensely focused on the personal development of our people, not just the, how they develop and how they run our systems. We also talk about how to build trust faster and deeper. What does it mean to be competent? You know, how we can straddle the role of being a doer and a leader uh, and how to really um, translate that, that focus on our people's personal development. Like, what does that actually look like? How we can sit down with each team member and focus on asking questions rather than us always making statements, which is really easy to do as a leader, especially if you get paid to talk for a living uh, like a lot of us do. So with that being said, um, the reason that I called the episode Breaking uh, kind of the the spotlight addiction that that's actually a term from uh, from my business coach spotlight addiction which is uh, the one of the key things that prevents us from turning a rock star business into any kind of machine is the inability to let go of the spotlight in other words to let our systems and our people be the star of the business rather than us always being the star of the business. Uh, it's not an easy transition to make. It's, it's harder for some than for others. But when we really learn to trust and let go and trust our people to run the systems that we built, and then even the level beyond that, which is to trust our people to build the next round of systems that our business is going to operate on, there's a lot of personal development challenges that come into play for us as the leaders. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode, starting with Spotlight Addiction. So without further ado, let's jump in with Dr. Laura. So Laura, Dr. Laura, officially welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. So we, uh, we connected, I was actually a guest on your podcast, which was awesome and a lot of fun. We got to talking behind the scenes. And so we wanted to come back and circle around and do an episode for the UX podcast about uh, personal development, especially about paying attention to our people and how they are developing so that we can help them, which obviously gives us a lot of advantages and makes it sets us apart in the work environment, helps us build a good team, all this stuff. So uh, before we get into the actual content, uh, I've kind of given people your background and credentials and stuff like that. But how do you tell people like when you encounter somebody in the world, how do you tell people what in the world you do? So I usually start out by saying I am an organizational psychologist. Okay. And I am obsessed with helping leaders become more self-aware. Hmm. So what that translates to, for the most part, is they become a lot more effective in communication. 
and they learn how to build trust faster and deeper, which ultimately okay. helps the team and the organization be far more productive. Okay. Fat, they build trust faster and deeper. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, what, just real quick, what's the link between better self-awareness and building trust faster with other people? Because we've talked a lot and I don't think we've talked about this aspect of it. The connection is vulnerability. Okay. Yeah. So becoming more self-aware and being more truly open about oneself is actually quite vulnerable. Like a lot of us think, oh yeah, I'm super open. Um, but what that means is I'm very happy to spout my opinions about anything and everything. Um, whereas true openness, the way that I define it at least, is about I will be open with you about my own thoughts, my own feelings. I will share some of my own self-talk. I'm going to share with you the stories in my head. And I'm going to acknowledge that everything about the world that I experience comes purely through all of my lenses and my filters. Mm. So. For me to be more self-aware means that I have more actual knowledge of what I'm thinking. I am genuinely more aware of my feelings. I'm more aware physiologically of what's going on in my body in any given conversation. You know, sometimes leaders are honestly just humans might lose their temper or something. And it's because they failed to notice all of the warning signs of, you know, their blood boiling and those types of expressions. But if they become more self-aware and they feel those things, then they can earlier on practice openness, be vulnerable, and that vulnerability is what creates trust. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we could go way down that path, but okay. Yeah. Uh, so they should, they should go listen to the, uh, the Gallagher Edge podcast, right, for, for, more, for more on that. Yeah, yeah. I call that one Expand Your Edge. Okay. Expand your edge. That's right. Gallagher edge is the name of the company. Expand your edge is the name of the podcast. Um, okay. So there's a whole rabbit trail we could go down. We'll try to keep it semi, <laughs> semi on track. Uh, cause that's interesting. Sharing, sharing the stories that are in your head. That's, uh, that's a whole other level of vulnerability. I don't know that I have quite hit that, especially with my staff. I'm probably keeping things a little close to the vest because I'm totally that. Yeah. Yeah. You like, you let, you let the story play. Yeah. And especially like with your, with your staff's or your team's performance, you mm -hmm. let the story play, you build a story about what they're doing, what they're thinking, what they're, what they're performing like. And then that story builds on itself. Then it creates its own confirmation bias. You start to see what fits that story and ignore everything that doesn't. Right. And then Absolutely. eventually it blows up and you're like, what are you doing? And yeah. you have this horrible conversation. Absolutely. And you manifest the very thing that you probably feared in the very beginning. Mm. So, and you know, the people that I work with use this expression all the time. They'll literally say, okay, so the story in my head is that you think blah, 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 or the story in my head is that if we go down this road. And so it just brings this immediate ownership to, I am not trying to claim that I am quote unquote, right. I'm just trying to say, this is my thought process at the moment. And then I put it out there and I allow you or whoever I'm speaking with to speak their truth, to share their story, sorry, share the story in their mind. Mm -hmm. And then we can figure out what's true. Like we get to co-create from there and come to agreement. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That sounds like a much more mature, <laughs> self-aware way to handle things. Um, I will work well, on that. Up, it ends up being so much simpler too. Like that's one of the things that I, I do want a lot of leaders to understand is that I think many of us, myself included, have fallen into the trap of thinking it's really important that my staff or my team see me as being very knowledgeable, that they have complete trust in me and that they 
believe I always have the answer. And yeah. so I think that perpetuates the stories and we try to play everything out. And like you said, if you want to talk to an employee about performance, for example, we immediately have a story in our minds like, oh, they're not going to respond well. Um, this might shut them down. Maybe their performance is going to get worse. Or if I bring this negative feedback to their attention, maybe they're going to attack me and I don't want to hear that from them because I know that I'm not perfect. All of these stories just kind of start to spiral and something that could become, or it could be a, a challenging 10, 15 minute conversation ends up getting played out in the leader's mind over and over and over. And the brain likes to protect us. Yeah. So it automatically catastrophizes and it tends to picture like the worst outcomes. Mm -hmm. And most of these conversations are actually not nearly as scary in reality as they are in our minds. Mm. So openness is the grand simplifier. And to just be able to share the story in our minds, letting go of anything being right or wrong, and just creating space for that open communication and conversation. Mm. And letting go of right and wrong is in and of itself vulnerable. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's interesting. And a quick a quick thought on that, just based on something that I've experienced over the last couple of years, is just that everybody's at their own stage of personal development. And I think we we as leaders, we want to do we're we're always so focused on what's best for the business that we want to see people as interchangeable parts and the the role and what the role can do for the business. And we're hoping to plug the people into the role and that they'll just automatically perform the role that we want them to. And if we're really good at hiring, sometimes that that can work out. The problem is when the, the, the person doesn't match up with the role. Uh, and then we realize, okay, this person has a limitation, at least right now in their character and their behavior and their decision-making, whatever it is, they have some limitation. They've run up against a ceiling and I like I've experienced that with with my staff and maybe I have I'm sure I have one myself right I mean that's part of why I'm working with a business coach because I, I want to break through my own ceilings and so I want to get to the point where I'm helping my staff break through theirs that I'm not just running up against that that ceiling and and then just leaving them there and going okay well I can't do anything about that right and I think yeah. there's there that's a very hard choice to make as a leader is okay this person's hit a ceiling in development do I let them stay at that level and find somebody, either replace them or find somebody else to do that thing that I need done that they are incapable of doing at the moment? Or do I focus on them and helping them break through that ceiling and really focus deeply and heavily on personal development? And that's what I want to talk with you about today uh, because that's, man, that's a hard choice to make and you don't know quite how it's going to work out. Um, yeah. So let, let's address just the challenge first of how do you bridge the gap between you haven't been focusing on personal development at all with your team, you, you, maybe you exemplify it, maybe you role model it. They see you developing yourself. They see you working with a coach. They see you reading. They see you doing all these self and personal development stuff, but you don't really hold them accountable. You haven't been meeting with them. You haven't really been asking them about that. Um, how do you make the shift so that they understand what's happening and why it's happening that you're all of a sudden going to start trying to dig in and help them develop on a personal level? Yeah. I mean, so again, I think transparency and openness is the simplest way to go. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people understand the evolution of companies and the evolution of leaders. And so again, a lot of what I'm going to suggest will require vulnerability on the part of the leader. Um, okay. But it could very honestly sound like I am so passionate about this business and the growth that we've achieved has been so exciting. And I realize now as obvious as it seems that if I'm not focusing on helping you all grow, then the company is going to hit a ceiling 
overall. And so I really want to start to shift my focus and pay attention to the ways in which you all want to grow and make sure that I'm helping you do that. So we can always find the overlap between what the business needs and what you want. Gotcha. So something like that, just really just putting it out there and saying, hey, I realize that the capacity of the individuals on the team is going to be the ceiling of the team's growth overall. So I want to make sure that we're all growing. I want to help you do that. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, part of the UX model and and part of why I called it that to begin with is that I think every every business is based around the x factors of the of the the entrepreneur that's at the center of it but ideally you build a team where every single person's role every person that's on your team they're in the exact right position to leverage their x factors their unique skills attributes and abilities so that everybody is operating in their superpower or zone of genius whatever you might want to call it and that to me is like how a business becomes the most effective. So if you have a bunch of people around you and they're not, they're doing things that are outside of their unique abilities, there's going to be issues. Um, and so it's, a, it's our job as leaders, not only to help them develop, but also to make sure that the right people are in the right seats on the bus to make sure that they're in the right roles, but ideally to help them keep developing those X factors. And that's, you know, that goes back to personal development, helping them figure out sometimes people don't know what their X factors are. And it's up to us to see them and help develop them. Absolutely. So, all right. So in my formal education as an organizational psychologist, the field of selection was huge, actually. How do you determine exactly what type of candidate you want to fill a role? And so I was borderline evangelical about it in the beginning, right? Um, Like you can do this, you can create a beautiful structured interview and you can find somebody who nobody's perfect but somebody who has the knowledge, skills, abilities, and any other characteristics that you'd want them to have for this role. So yes, but in my quote-unquote real-world experience, um, which I, I do honestly believe is more valuable than my PhD, more than anything, it's still going to be about adaptability because almost every human being that I know, their interests change, and I believe their capacity changes. So Instead of now, you know, my opinion now is instead of trying so hard to find the exact right person for the exact right role at the exact right time, looking for sort of the underlying characteristics and traits and trends that you want to see from a human being, that that human being can not only keep up with change, but be the catalyst for change. Like the company is going to change, the people are going to change. And so it's more about being able to keep communication open. So those things are rolling together. If that makes sense. Okay. Well, keep communication open so that they, so that they, they continue to, and they're okay with adapting to change as it comes to them. Um, like well, how, how and we're creating it, right? So yeah. like that's, that, those are two different things. I find it's a lot easier to find people who are adaptable to change that's forced on them because they are living in the world uh, and they, they've been forced to adapt enough that they can do that. Becoming a catalyst for change is very different. That that's tough to find because that that's very. I don't know that most people have the. Um, I don't know if it's the risk tolerance, the uh, the ability to do something, you know, change something and get slapped by the consequences. Essentially, like the the ability to handle failure, the resilience that entrepreneurs have. So yeah, it's definitely it's it's a higher paid, more valuable person that can initiate change versus someone who can just adapt to the change that we dictate is going to happen. 
So I'm a huge believer in individual differences between humans, for sure. And I think we also chronically underestimate the power of the situation. So I can use myself as an example. So, you know, I started my career with NASA Mm -hmm. and um, organization development was fairly new. So I worked under Dr. Philip Mead in the beginning. He actually started it there at Kennedy and it was fantastic. And I didn't even know this was a word, but looking back, I was an entrepreneur. Mm. I, I built a company inside of a government agency mm. um, and it was so cool. And so I was year over year over year considered to be one of the top performers. You know, I, I moved up incredibly fast. I would get awards and accolades. It was fantastic. I had a great reputation. Wonderful. Okay. I left NASA and I started a role with Disney. And Disney's culture was very different and the infrastructure was very different. So I had a boss and there were just two of us that worked for him. And I have never in my life felt so much like I was put in a bubble. Mm. I've never in my life felt so restricted in terms of who I could speak to. You know, like talking to my boss's boss at NASA was a common occurrence, no big deal. I was in senior executive's office all the time. Mm -hmm. In Disney, the environment and the situation was so, so different for me. And I really struggled. I actually tried to sort of break right, break left, you know, reach connections outside my immediate department and did. I actually got offered another job at Disney after like two months because I made such a great impression in that direction. Yeah. But I felt so stifled that I am quite confident if you went to Disney and you asked my former boss how I was as an employee, he would probably say average at best. Wow. At best. And of course, I left there after less than a year to just focus on my business, which has been doing really well, like growth over growth over growth every year so far. We'll see what happens, right? But like, so I, I always think of myself as a super high performer, as a, an innovator and somebody who is very empowered and is willing to take risks. But yeah, you can put even somebody like me in an environment where I start to feel like I'm watching the clock yeah. because I'm not, I'm not empowered. I have no ownership because no ownership is given to me. And when I try to take ownership of something, it is squashed. Mm-hmm. So I say all of this to demonstrate that there is a lot that any of your listeners as leaders can choose to do to bring out more of the best in people. And I think the reason that it's so hard for us to do this as leaders is that we have to fundamentally reconceptualize what it means to be competent, right? Not everybody likes that word. <laughs> okay. I feel like I'm seeing some wheels turning. If I'm like saying too much or going too fast or too many rabbit holes, let me know. No, please. This, so reconceptualizing competence. So most of us, um, from when we're kids, competent is knowing something. I know the alphabet. I know how to spell that word. I know what sound that animal makes. You know, like from the very beginning, it's very knowledge-based and we are rewarded for the things that we do. We do something, we get it done, we get a gold star. And so, I mean, I'm being a little bit silly using examples from early childhood, but this tends to continue into our early careers. Okay. We are all almost always, we're all individual contributors to start. We're doers. Do this task, get this thing done. Maybe it's our own idea, maybe it's somebody else's, but we feel good about ourselves because of what we ourselves have accomplished. And when somebody steps into the role of a leader, being competent now is not about doing things yourself. It's about creating an environment 
or the people who work with you or for you, whatever preposition you want to use, are able to get so much more done, right? So leading is about getting things done through other people. And so for me to feel competent as a leader, I have to feel super, super great about the accomplishments of the people that are on my team, even if I presumably had nothing to do with it. Hmm. Like we just got a huge client last week and it was really exciting and I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Nothing. I was not a part of a single conversation and it was the coolest thing. And I, I admit like I had a twinge of like almost jealousy or like, oh dang, like why didn't I get that client? Yeah. But the fact that Stephanie did, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Right. And so being able to reconceptualize what it means to be competent as a leader it's really about reinventing yourself. Hmm. That's really good because the whole, the whole point of, of like the whole, like you, the UX world, like the book that's coming, the podcast that we're on right now, like the whole thing is about transitioning from being the rock star in the business. In other words, the person where you're delivering the majority of the value through your own time, effort, and energy into getting things done through people and systems. And holy cow, that's a hard thing because yeah, if you're a top performer and you're used to tying the emotional satisfaction of the business to what you've done, you have to break, yeah, well, it's not that you have to necessarily break that. You can still take pride in what you do, but you have to then uh, additional, you have to add to that taking pride in getting emotional satisfaction out of the achievements of other people and be able to like, that has to register inside you in order to make all the, the pain in the ass of creating that environment worth it right? All the yeah. things you have to do to, to, to set your people up for success, to build the systems that they run, to do all those things that make them successful. Like that, that's a very long-term thing. And our emotions are not, what, what I've learned from my coach is that our emotions are not tied to the things that actually make us successful in the long run. In fact, the more space there is between the things we have to do and the payoff emotionally, the, the worse we have, we, the worse we have it, the more difficult it is for us to do that stuff. And man, nowhere is it more present than in leaders trying to get stuff done through other people because then we can't even just step in and just do it. Right. We have to let them do it. Man, that's tough. It's a pretty active rewiring of the brain. Okay. Because you're absolutely right. You know, the emotions associated with accomplishments and achievements are very, very time oriented and it's really addictive. I was actually just coaching somebody earlier today where we were talking about the addicted, the addiction of being able to respond quickly to emails. You even gave me a hard time <laughs> 20 minutes ago about like, why are you being so fast to respond? Right? Let other people respond. But it's, it is, it's so, it's so addicting. And so I, I do think that it's about putting really conscious effort into reconceptualizing, what does it mean for me to be good at my job? And I think that it's really hard for leaders who are growing their companies because they find themselves straddling the roles of individual contributor and leader. Yeah. And you know, one of the organizational physics concepts we talk about sometimes is that battle between short-term and long-term. If I am one person and I'm responsible for everything short-term and everything long-term, all things being equal, short-term wins every time without separating those things, you know, things that have the longer term focus never feel like they're as important, but they are more important. So anybody who knows the framework of urgent versus important, the same thing here, the same thing applies here. So for leaders to be able to make the time to do something that in and of itself does not feel at all productive, you know, sit down with each one of your employees one by one and ask them questions, right? And that's the other big thing that I would want to recommend to your listeners. Mm -hmm. 
when you start to do this, this is far more about asking than it is about telling. So you mentioned, Matt, that some people don't even know necessarily what their unique ability is. They don't know where they really shine or they don't know what their passions are. A lot of people haven't made time to think about it because nobody's created the space. Nobody's made the time. And so I think that's where true leaders can really set themselves apart and where organizations really grow. Like most leaders say that they want employees with an ownership mentality, but they don't want to actually give them any ownership over anything. But letting them come up with their own ideas, letting them run with their ideas, not every time, but at least sometimes, even if it's not exactly in line with what you as the leader want, it's honestly going to be the key to growing. It's like, give them parameters. Sort of, you can do anything you want as long as fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the rest of that sentence? And then create that space so that each one of them can feel more clear about what they want to do. Because I can't effectively develop any of my people if I don't even know where they want to go. It's like me trying to give somebody directions on how to get to a destination, but they haven't told me the destination they're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. Can't tell them to turn left or turn right if I don't know where they want to go. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, so my coach calls that spotlight addiction. Mm-hmm. Very good term for it because, again, it goes back to the concept of being the rock star in the business. We're, we're the ones on stage. We're the ones that have got all the credit, all the accolades, which is part of the driving part. You know, like it's, it's part of the beating heart of being an entrepreneur. Like, like a lot of us want that. And that's, that's part of what actually gets us to like break out of a company or break out of something and go do something that's on our own. Cause we get a hundred percent of the credit, the, the, the validation. Yeah. yeah but there's an interesting shift if we wanted to keep growing it's yeah. a, we have to not only set parameters where people can operate and feel freedom, as a leader, what it feels like is we're sharing the spotlight. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Sting going out and all of a sudden being a part of a band where he has to share the spotlight with everybody else. Guess what? That doesn't that doesn't work very well. <laughs> like they tried, <laughs> they reunited for one amazing tour, and then he went and said, "Screw you guys! I'm going back to the <laughs> thing well. where I get to hire all and hire and fire all the musicians." And that's yeah. what a lot of leaders do. They dabble. They'll, they'll form a company around them, they'll form a team, and then they, they get a taste of what it's like to like share the spotlight. And they're like, ooh, this is not for me. I'm going to go back to being an individual performer. But if you cross that chasm and you learn to share the spotlight, then you can keep, like the business can keep growing. But we do have to literally let other people be the star. And that's tough. Yeah. Well, okay. So, and this is where the relationship becomes so important, right? So if you as a leader are making the time to really get to know each of your people and really understand what they're passionate about, help them think about what they want to do in a year, two years, five years, whatever it is, and then be that supporter for them, then the level of loyalty and relationship that will be built is going to make it, it's not even going to feel like sharing the spotlight. So like I was telling you about when I was internal at NASA, my supervisor was amazing. Um, Her name is Stacy Phillips and she was, she's the best boss we've ever had. I remember that she won a leadership award one year. Um, I had worked for her for probably three or four years at that point. And they read aloud her, her write-up. So somebody had to actually nominate her for all of her accomplishments. And this is probably very self-serving bias, but I swear at least half of the things they listed were things that I did. Mm. My initiatives, right? The, the projects that I had launched, the things that I had started. Okay. And I felt so thrilled that the work that I had done was helping her 
get acknowledged because she had been the one to let me run with my ideas. She had been the one to champion, you know, my own development and growth and promote me along the way. And she genuinely cared about me. Like this is, it sounds cliche, but it's so true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Like, so the relationship that I had with her, hearing my accomplishments get her glory, like was so satisfying. I wanted that for her because I felt like she had been such a solid advocate and supporter for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think at a certain point, it stops feeling like sharing and it just feels right. It just feels like this is what is. But it's, it is so hard to break the addiction of, yeah. of being the doer and, you know, spotlight effect. I sometimes call it the um, hero complex. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, got this. I got it. Yeah. Um, and so it is, it's like, what does it mean to be competent as a leader? Mm-hmm. Is it about being the best at doing everything or is it about creating the environment and inspiring the people around you to do way more than you could ever do on your own? And so rewiring and genuinely believing in the long-term effect of developing your people, investing the time and the resources to develop them, that's really how companies can get through a lot of different growth plateaus. Hmm. Love it. All right. So I have one final question for you. Before we do that, let people know how to connect and kind of get into your world. Tell them about the podcast, the membership site, all the good stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you can find um, the hub of everything for me. It's going to be gallaheredge.com. It is Gallagher, not Gallagher. Super, super common mistake. So um, yeah, just take out that second G. It's just gallaheredge.com. So you can follow along. I do a new podcast or blog every week. So you can subscribe for free to that. Podcast is called Expand Your Edge. So we focus a lot on uh, human stories of growth, uh, including your episode, Matt, Mm -hmm. which I'm not sure when this is coming out, but your episode comes out in October. So hopefully people can listen to that. Um, and then, yeah, we have a, a really affordable way for people to get these kind of insights um, every week via video format and weekly challenges, and that's called Insider Edge. So if you want to become an insider and get more into our world, you can find out more about that at GallagherEdge.com. All right. Very cool. And so final question for you is now that you've transitioned out of like these amazing environments like NASA and Disney and, and you're still working with clients like that, like that, that those are the types of organizations and, and people that you serve among others, but you're, you're working with big companies, but you yourself have crossed that kind of line. And now you're an entrepreneur managing a virtual team, right? And you're traveling all, all, all over God's creation. You're on a remote year. So you're in, as we, as we record this, you're in, you know, week three or four of being in Lisbon, uh, which yep. I'm wildly jealous of. <laughs> uh, so what, what's the most surprising thing you've learned just uh, in the entrepreneurial journey, especially the part about managing a virtual team versus having everybody kind of in the same environment? So I'm, I cheat a little bit on the virtual thing because my team was half virtual before I went remote. Um, and I actually brought somebody on my team with me. So <laughs> Kayla, who is like the most wonderful person in the world, um, I hired her last April and she's traveling with me. So I have a, a weird split. Um, time zones are uh, really challenging. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I have done a lot of and want to do more of um, is just making the sacrifice, right? So as the the leader of the team, being the one to make the sacrifice in terms of the awkwardness of time zones. Now, I know that not everybody who's remote has the crazy time zone issues that I've had to deal with being in Southeast Asia, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, the biggest thing for working virtually, working remotely is, man, got to be intentional. There's just, people don't just pass by each other's cubicles. You know, there's no water cooler talk. So I love using Slack as a messaging app with the channels to try to keep communication organized, but being really intentional about what meetings need to happen Mm -hmm. and just making them happen. That's the biggest thing that I think sets apart successful remote teams from those that struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that one of the, one of the smartest things I did possibly unintentionally at first, but then it got intentional was that I just, no matter how long someone's been on my team, no matter how much I trust them, we still meet every week. Guest booking specialist, operations director, my head, my head writer who directs all of our content, like relentlessly every single Tuesday, we're jumping on an Uber conference together. And I don't take that for granted. Um, no matter how well-intentioned people are, no matter how good their work ethic is, performance tends to degrade over time unless you as a leader come along and prop it back up. And, uh, and of course, then you've got all the other interpersonal stuff, just understanding what's going on in their lives, showing that you care. Like, it, it's just, I, like, I can tell the difference that it's made in my team that we, that we meet consistently and intentionally and that it's not just about work, that I make the effort to ask and, and genuinely care about, like, what's going on in their life. Um, and, uh, so that's something that I think is, it's hard for us to, it's one of those things you mentioned that it doesn't feel necessarily like it's productive. It's actually one of the most productive things we can do. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the silliest metaphors for it is somebody that has a long-term goal of losing weight. And so they eat a salad for lunch and jump on the scale, expecting to see it different right away. Like, <laughs> it's really not how that works. You know, it's a long it game play. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, Laura, this was awesome. We could, uh, we could definitely have you back and talk about a whole bunch of other things because there's so many like different topics and rabbit trails that we could go down. So, but I appreciate it. And everybody should go check out your podcast and the insider edge and all the cool stuff that you have going on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. Now I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done-for-you podcasting service. Uh, That is my agency that I'm building and growing, and I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX podcast where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine and we'll see you on the next episode.